scripture today is Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive, and above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. All right, well, good morning. What a great time of worship this morning uh, in song together. So thank you, worship team, for that. We are going to continue on this week with our uh, discussion through the mission statement. For those who weren't here last week or visitors, uh, the elders for the last several months have been going through and talking about our mission, who we are, and then looking at vision for where we're going as a church. And we felt it good to express uh, all the hours that we spent in developing and wordsmithing these uh, documents uh, that we would share our hearts with you guys. And so last week, we had three elders that shared the first part of the mission statement. Uh, Jeff, you can put that up, or am I in control here? All right, so our mission statement is, we exist to pursue God, to practice righteousness, and produce disciples of Jesus Christ in a community of grace and truth who love and serve with joy. So Mark Fox, Scott Hahn, and Mark Kent went through the first three, uh, pursuing God, practicing righteousness, and producing disciples of Jesus Christ. And uh, what we identified on those uh, last week was that pursuing God is a personal uh, thing that we do individually. Practicing righteousness, also something between us and God that we do um, by His grace. And then producing disciples of Jesus Christ is where we start to interact with others, where we uh, take everything that God has shown us and then interact with someone on a personal level, deepening relationships and producing, producing a disciple, one who follows after Christ. So it's we're modeling a Christ life and then sowing into others and producing all others that would follow Christ and then produce disciples themselves. And so if you can advance the slide one so I don't mess it up again. Uh, what I'm going to be looking at is in a community of grace and truth. That's where I'll start today is pick up where they left off. So uh, Oxford Dictionary defines a community as a group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common and a feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. Okay, so we're a community church because we live in this place in this region called Central North Carolina. Uh, we spoke last week about how we are set apart. We're called out ones, uh, called out from the world, but are God's chosen people, and so we're together in this place. Uh, we're called by God from before the foundation of the world and given faith by the quickening of the Holy Spirit to believe by His grace that Jesus is Lord of our lives. That's a distinctive, and we're called and we're here uh, together, knit together by God with these same characteristics in common. In relationships with people here at Antioch over the years, I think this aspect of our mission is simply doing life together. Being a community is doing life together, right? Whether we gather together here on Sunday morning uh, 
In corporate worship, whether we're deepening our relationships with each other in Wednesday night uh, midweek meetings, whether we're spending time together in fellowship meals or other fellowship activities, participating in parachurch ministry together, uh, in our vocational work where we interact uh, outside of the church, we're sharing with one another common interests of glorifying the Lord to the utmost, and we have an attitude of love and service as we are going through life. Uh, another way to think about that, and I've, I've thought uh, just over the past few years I've seen and really just in remembering my time here at Antioch, we see we go through life together, all the highs and the lows. I remember uh, when we first came, we had a newborn baby, and we're, as a community together, we enjoy uh, birth, the, a new life, right, coming together, and we all come together as community. We bring meals together, and we're loved on by one another as life begins. And as we've just uh, experienced here in uh, recent times, we experience great loss, young ones and old ones, and we do that together, and we love one another together uh, because we're a community. We're like-minded believers who do life together. It's also a time where we bump into one another. We can do all the personal things between us and God. The challenges, the struggles come when we start bumping into each other. We get close and we see imperfections. We see nicks and dings from what the world has done and our own sin, and we bump into one another, and we work through that together. That's also what binds us together as a community. So our community here of like-minded believers, we're built on grace and truth. That's the second part. We're built on grace and truth. We're people of grace. It's by the grace of God that we have faith to believe in the first place. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. I think the book of Romans is really helpful as we start thinking about grace. Um, and over the years it's been uh, helpful for me to think about my position uh, based on grace. And we all see ourselves, uh, whatever the, our experience was with salvation, we see this in our own lives. Romans 3.10 and following says, As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. However, the Holy Spirit did that in our lives. At some point in time, we said, God, that's me. I'm unrighteous. I'm not worthy. I've turned aside. I'm an enemy of God. Then Romans 5.19 and following says, For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And when we're saved, we say, oh God, that's me, right? God's grace abounded in me. Beyond the trespass, his grace is applied to me. That grace shown to us is awesome, and each of us individually on the basis of the grace poured out on us, extends that grace to others in our community. Again, Romans describes to us what that looks like. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ. 
and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. Chapter 12 also instructs us on how to order ourselves in our community based on God's grace. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly love and affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Through my time here at Antioch, I know that's a distinctive of ours. It is our mission to do all those things, to be all those things for one another in our community. So we all have work to do, both in laying hold to the manifold grace of God poured out on us, and by extension, giving that grace to one another. But we're working on it together for the glory of God and for our own sakes. Finally, we're a people of truth. In an age where culture's predecessors of relative truth have been leapfrogged directly into owning my truth, we are surrounded by those who would attempt to hold a personal truth as absolute and yet verbalize a valuation of everyone, which is leaving us all in a morass of chaos, confusion, anxiety, and depression. But in direct contradiction to the surrounding culture, we hold on to a truth that's not just an idea or a feeling or what we would own, but a person. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In John 14, 6 and 7, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. 1 John 1 through 4, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest. And we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the truth with the Father from eternity past and made manifest to us also. Jesus is the Word who made all things. For us, quite simply, our community is built on the truth that is Jesus. In creation, we see all around us, embodied in a life on earth, touched and testified to, and recorded by inspiration into the Word that we interact with day by day and order our lives. At Antioch Church, we take the truth seriously. We preach expositionally here from the pulpit on Sunday mornings. We have many studies, and we focus on that on Wednesday nights. It is primary for us, the truth of Jesus Christ, by which we order our lives. I love Antioch Community Church. I love the community that we have here because it's a fellowship of those called out by God's grace to live life as we are going, doing life together into the truth of Jesus Christ that instructs us to extend his grace to one another and driving us to love, love and to serve, which Micah will now come up and describe. All right. Well, I, I do have a degree in communications, but unfortunately, 
Technology does not tremble before degrees. Uh, it has its own mind no matter what the degree. But hey, it decided to work. Maybe that was you. Thank you. Thank you for that, for making me look good in the moment there. Well, um, as I begin this morning, it, it, uh, part of this feels easy uh, to me, not because I'm a good public speaker, but because you uh, give much material for this last portion of our mission statement, to love and to serve with joy. As I think about Antioch Community Church and who we are as a church, lots of things come to mind, but one of the things that is the forefront in my mind is certainly the fact that we do well in our loving and our service of one another, and I'm sure that is something that you think of often as well and have benefited from often as well. You know, loving and serving with joy is a big part of the way in which we practically live out the pursuit of God, the practicing of righteousness, and the discipling of the church body. As we practically walk out these commands, we set an example that others can follow that helps to spur each of us up into growing in our love for the Lord and our joy in Him. Loving and serving with joy isn't complete if it's not first grounded in grace and truth and lived out in community, as Jeremy just described as well. The first scripture I want to point us to, and you're welcome to turn to this morning, is James 2. James 2, verses 14 through 17, a familiar passage when James says this, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace. Be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Our faith must be lived out through action to prove that it is genuine. This is where the mission statement gets really practical. It's also where we see whether or not what comes before in the mission statement is actually true for us. If it isn't manifesting itself in practical service and love for others, can we truly say that we are pursuing God, that we're practicing righteousness, that we're producing disciples of Jesus Christ in a community of grace and truth if we are not loving and serving one another with joy? 1 Corinthians um, 13, the, the, the famous passage on love, we're just a, a gong, a clanging symbol if we do these things or say we do these things and yet do not have love for one another. This is a question that Paul asked in his letter to uh, the believers in Philippi. If you want to turn to Philippians uh, in chapter 2, he asks them to examine themselves to see, if whether these th- to see whether these things are true in their own lives. And I, I personally believe that this passage in Philippians is a key passage in all of Scripture for at least this part of our mission statement as it captures the heart and the aim of what we're trying to say here. I'm going to start in chapter 1 just to give us a bit of a fuller context. But chapter 1, starting in verse 27, says this, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, 
and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict you saw I had, and now here I still have. And then he says in chapter 2, verse 1, So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Uh, A study Bible I used says that at the start of verse 1 in Philippians, Paul uses this conditional sentence, if... If, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, in part to help provoke them to reflect on whether or not these qualities were actually evident in their lives. The Philippian believers must make sure that they continue to progress in the absolutely critical area of love for one another. As Paul emphasizes, they must be of the same mind. And this is not to imply an intellectual uniformity. Rather, the Philippians are to use their diverse gifts in agreeable and cooperative spirit with a focus on the glory of God. I I, I like this. This We're not aiming for uniformity here. We're not aiming for everyone to believe and to act just the same. That would be the definition of a cult. What we want is that for all of us to use our diverse gifts that you have been given at the moment of salvation in ways that are agreeable, in ways that are cooperative, in ways that build us up in the body of Christ. The commentary goes on to say that there is always a temptation as we do this, as we do this in community with one another, there is always going to be a temptation to operate in a spirit of rivalry, looking to advance my own agenda. Such conceit is countered by counting others more significant than yourself. The key is to take that same level of concern and apply it also to the interests of others. Such radical love is rare. This really is a radical calling that we have to practice righteousness by serving others and putting their needs before our own. To love one another by helping them carry their burden and take their burden upon ourselves for the sake of that other brother or sister in Christ. And to be asked to do all of this with joy? Wow. That's radical. But this is what separates separates and sets apart a Christ follower. Such radical love is rare, but I'm grateful to live and to serve and to worship in a rare and radical church that lives this out so well. One last time 
to look at a commentary. It says about verses 5 through 11 that this is often referred to as the hymn of Christ. Paul wrote this magnificent theology to encourage us to consider others others first. Jesus is the paradigm of genuine spiritual progress, not a self-aggrandizing struggle for supremacy, but a deep love for God and neighbor that's shown, that's lived, that's proved in deeds of service. I began by saying that I truly believe that this church body is known for the many ways in which we love and serve one another with joy. We see this in the way that families don't make a beeline for the door at the last amen, but we hang around and we fellowship and we ask one another how we're doing and we pray for one another and we talk and we laugh. We see it in the ways that families show up when there's a work day at the church or when there's a work day at a family's home who is in need. We see it, as Jeremy referenced, I think, in in his comments as well, we see it in every single meal that is delivered to a family for the two weeks after they have that baby and dinners come rolling in. What what a joy that is. We see it in the ongoing and faithful service of our sound booth team. We, we laugh about technological issues, but it's not their fault. Technological issues ca- happen no matter what. But they serve faithfully every week, not because they're getting paid, but because they love to serve the body in this way. We see it in the prayer team that Beth leads so faithfully that prays for families in the church every month. We see it in our Ironman groups when men love one another enough to say, Brother, you need to stop doing that. You need to live for the Lord, and that's not it. We see it in our young people who cheerfully pitch in to serve by cleaning up after fellowship meals, men's breakfasts, women's Christmas dinners, men's retreats, and the like. We have had more visitors stop us after a meal, after they have looked with a puzzled look at the fact that the young people are pitching in and cleaning up and say, what is this? What is this? I've never seen this like this before. This is living out love and service with joy. We see it in so many ways in this church body. And as I close um, and wrap up this area of the mission statement, I want to draw out just a couple of things that I I don't want us to miss about what we mean by loving and serving with joy. One, we love and serve all people, not just those that we're closest to, not just the ones that we have the best relationship with, not just the ones that are the most like us. We love and serve with joy for all people. We serve and love within a community. If we're not in a community, you cannot love and serve with joy, and we cannot love and serve you. It happens in community. Our service should be marked by joy. This speaks not just to what we do, but the attitude we do it in. We talk about this with our kids all the time, but this is so true for all of us, right? God calls us to obedience no matter what, but oh, how good and pleasant it is when we do it with joy. Service that is divorced from joy is like giving that is divorced from cheer. God asks us to do both, but God loves a cheerful giver. And God loves a joyful server. We exist to pursue God, to practice righteousness, and to produce disciples of Jesus Christ in a community 
of grace and truth who love and serve with joy. By God's grace, may we all grow in this this year. So last week we handed out um, this. I don't know if you still have it, and if you came today and didn't get one of these, they might be on the back table, but I wanted just to thank Carrie Fox for laying this out for us. She took the mission statement and our foundational values and beliefs and put it all together in a nice little um, bifold flyer here. So uh, we still got a little bit of work to do on the editing of that, but um, my role today is to flip the page, literally, <laughs> and go to the inside flap where we move from our mission statement to uh, what we're calling our foundational values. So uh, the mission statement, that's our attempt to answer the question, why do we exist, or collectively, what is our purpose? And in the next section, which we call our foundational values, they represent a set of core principles uh, that feed into our identity and our culture as a church, or the distinctive qualities that reflect who we are as a church family and how we model church life at Antioch, or at least how we aspire to. Uh, we can always do things better. Uh, we've identified six foundational values, added a disclaimer at the bottom, uh, just to remind you that this is not an exhaustive list, neither are, is the belief statement, but these are, uh, Jeremy used the word primary this morning, these are our distinctives, these are um, the things that we, um, we think God has made a priority for us here at Antioch, and so we've identified six of them. And uh, they're big bucket items and categories that include and point to other principles, values, and virtues that we hold dear and want to be known for as a church. So um, following Mark's lead last week, my 10 minutes starts now. So um, I was given the big task to go through six of these um, in, in my allotment of 10 minutes. I'll do the best I can do. So first one is worship. And um, in contemplating our understanding of worship at Antioch, um, I'd like us to reflect on these words by the Apostle Paul. So in Colossians 3.17, uh, he reminds us, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And a little further on in Colossians 3.23-24, uh, we read, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. So these verses underscore that worship is not limited to a particular time or place. It's not a set of actions or words or physical expressions alone. Instead, worship should be the compelling force motivating every facet of our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. I like what John Piper wrote because uh, he articulated it beautifully when he said, far from being a special moment in a Christian meeting, God-honoring worship is the natural state of our hearts when we seek to do all to the glory of God. Worship extends beyond the confines of a church service and infiltrates every moment of our lives. Greeting a visitor or a fellow church member, singing songs of praise, giving tithes and offerings, listening attentively to a sermon, praying for a friend, hosting a guest for lunch, cleaning up afterwards, I like this one, even taking a nap. They, they all become acts of worship when done with a heart that's devoted to and aligned with God. So as believers, we are continually in God's presence, and worship is a perpetual reality for those who seek ultimate satisfaction and pleasure in God. Through this lifestyle of continuous worship, we indeed can glorify him in all things. Aligning our actions and our intentions with Christ transforms both monumental acts or events and everyday moments into expressions of godly devotion. Corporate worship, when we come and we gather together, that serves as a reminder that we are part of a larger family bound together by our shared faith and love for Christ. Worship as the preeminent foundational value, it embellishes every aspect of church life. 
infusing significance into all of our endeavors as members and fellow believers in Christ. Number two, and Jeremy touched on this a little bit this morning, um, gospel community, and it's printed grace community, we're going to fix that, but gospel community is what the second foundational value is supposed to be um, read as. It's our commitment to gospel community. It's rooted in the desire to nurture a church family where members genuinely love, challenge, and uplift one another in both our weaknesses and strengths. So in April last year, uh, Pastor Mark introduced the concept of gospel community in his sermon on Genesis 44 drawing inspiration from a podcast that he had heard by Ray Ortland and Sam Albury that's centered on churches possessing sound gospel doctrine, yet lacking in a corresponding gospel culture. Pastor Mark asked us to consider this. He said, do we authentically embrace transparency and humility about our struggles and the need to walk through them with others, or do we go through the motions, acting and pretending as though we have life all figured out? The attitude of having it all together undermines the gospel culture essential for a healthy church that is attractive to the world around us. The scriptures provide clear evidence on the importance of a gospel community. First, uh, in John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35, it echoes Christ's commandment to love one another as he has loved us, emphasizing that our love for each other will be seen by all people as a distinguishing mark that we are Christ's disciples. In 1 Thessalonians 5.11, believers are urged to continually encourage and build one another up. And Hebrews 10.24.25 stresses the need to stir one another toward love and good works, emphasizing the importance of regularly gathering together for mutual encouragement, especially as the day of the Lord approaches. So these passages, uh, they, they call attention to the vital role of gospel community, charging believers to actively consider how we can inspire and support one another in our journey with Christ. Living in gospel community demands mutual accountability, celebrating life's joys together, weeping and mourning in times of sorrow, fervently praying for one another, being present and available in times of need, providing practical assistance, offering spiritual counsel, and cultivating an environment of transparency and vulnerability in our weaknesses, coupled with humility and grace in our strengths. It's a commitment to embody the love and care modeled by Christ for the well-being of the entire church body. Number three, discipleship. Um, I'm going to refer you back to Mark Kemp's message last week. He did a great job of unpacking discipleship, and I think there's nothing really more that I have to add for that. And to get through my 10 to 11 minutes, I'm going to move on to number four, um, which actually ties in. So number four is missions. Um, Antioch views missions as a global extension of the discipleship mandate. Okay, It's moving forward. We want to grow in our capacity to pray and financially support global disciple makers, those who are called and sent to disciple across the globe, extending from greater Alamance County uh, all the way to the furthest corners of the earth as God allows. We also want to invest by sending Antioch members to work alongside our mission partners, as we've done in past uh, years, uh, to annual outreaches to Kentucky, Mexico, Colombia, Moldova, Africa, by participating in local packing events with Feed the Hunger, The Apostle John's encouragement to support global disciple-makers echoes through his third letters. Listen to these words from the Apostle John. Beloved, your faithful actions shine in all your efforts for these brothers, those strangers, who have testified to your love before the church. You do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. They have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support individuals like them becoming fellow workers for the truth.
So for as long as I can remember, about 25 to 35% of our annual church giving uh, at Antioch has been allocated to missions, which is pretty high. And uh, that's, not a, that's not a boast. It's, it's just a grace. It's just an acknowledgement of your generosity as the people in the household of God. We've been able to, to affect the lives of a lot of people, both here within our own community, all the way um, you know, to other parts of the world. It's helped to include church-sponsored mission trips. It's provided support for local mission partners like Fellowship of Christian Athletes, Piedmont Men of Steel, Arms of Grace Pregnancy Resource Center, and internationally through Samaritan's Purse, Leadership International, the Rigsby's family in Nepal, the Harris family in South Africa, Grace Community Church in Loftus, England, and many others. So our generous investment of time and resources in this area amplifies our shared mission of being fellow workers for the gospel. Number five, expository preaching. So our commitment to expository preaching, which is already mentioned once this morning, uh, maybe twice, is a response to Paul's instruction to Timothy when he said uh, to rightly handle the word of truth. And it was further expanded upon in Acts when, when Paul gave his farewell address to the Ephesian elders that he did not shrink back from declaring to them the whole counsel of God. So to this end, we are committed to imparting sound biblical principles and doctrine by preaching through entire books of the Bible. In an article titled Preaching and Authority, Three Characteristics of Expository Preaching, Dr. Albert Moeller wrote this. He said, authentic expository preaching is marked by three distinct characteristics, authority, reverence, and centrality. So expository preaching is authoritative because it stands upon the very authority of the Bible as the Word of God. Such preaching requires and reinforces a sense of reverent expectation on the part of God's people. And then third, expository preaching demands the central place in Christian worship and is respected as the event through which the living God speaks to his people. Distinguishing itself from topical preaching, expository preaching requires a disciplined and thorough explanation or exploration of the meaning within a particular passage or book of the Bible. So this deliberate approach safeguards against selective or partial presentations of Scripture. It prevents the temptation to cherry-pick verses to support preconceived ideas. And it actively promotes a balanced, holistic understanding of God's Word. We believe the fruit of expository preaching is to cultivate a congregation deeply grounded in gospel truth while fostering a love for God's word that goes beyond superficial understanding to true wisdom. As Psalm 119 declares, the unfolding of your words give light. It gives understanding to the simple. Wrapping up the six pillars of our foundational values is plurality of elders which is our church governance model. So our commitment to a plurality of elders seeks to mirror the New Testament model of a council of qualified men who wholeheartedly serve, lead, oversee, and protect the members of the church family. In Acts 14.23, uh, we witness the early Christians appointing elders, plural, for each church, solidifying this practice through prayer and fasting and committing these leaders to the Lord in whom they had believed. The Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 5.1.2 provides a rich exhortation to the elders. He urged them, shepherd the flock of God with diligence and humility. This passage emphasizes the importance of exercising oversight willingly, not for personal gain or domination, but rather as examples to the flock. Psalm 15.22 echoes the wisdom that without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors they succeed. Practically speaking, a plurality of elders fosters a collaborative and shared leadership practice that not only protects Pastor Mark as our lead pastor from burnout, 
but it also guards against abuses of power resulting from more centralized or authoritarian models of church governance. Most importantly, it aligns with the established precedents in the New Testament. I read this week um, that the average term of service for Protestant pastors in the U.S. is a mere four years. That stands in stark contrast to Pastor Mark's remarkable 36 years of service here at Antioch. I think Pastor Mark would be the first to tell you that his ability to serve for so long has been largely dependent on the fact that he does not have to shoulder the burden of pastoral leadership alone, but he's surrounded and supported by fellow elders and brothers in Christ who love him and who have been called and given the wonderful privilege of coming alongside of him to share equally in serving and caring for the body. As Pastor Mark is our, uh, as Pastor Mark is our designated first among elders, but collectively all six elders, soon to be seven, Lord willing, are mutually submitted to one another and are co-equal in authority regarding the leadership of Antioch Community Church. So saints, those are the, the six pillars, foundational values. And, and if you think there's anything missing from that list, I guess I would challenge you just to sort of see where maybe they plug in. You know, I was thinking uh, prayer certainly is a foundational value of our church. But that fits into gospel community. It fits into worship. It fits into almost all six of these, these things. So um, the idea of putting forth a list of just six, which we thought through very, very uh, carefully for a long time, was to capture uh, and really serve as a reminder to us is what are the primaries? What are the principles? What are the distinctives? When people look at Antioch, um, who do they say that we are? And, um, and how can we aspire to do better uh, in these four things? So with us, let's pray together and close out our time. Father, I'm grateful, again, just for the, the work of, of, of your Holy Spirit. Um, I believe in leading us to um, uh, the mission statement as it's currently articulated, uh, to Lord identifying these values. And, and I just would, would hold them back up to you as a prayer that, Lord, we could live up to this. Lord, we need your grace. We need your help to pursue you. We need your grace and help to practice righteousness. Lord, to produce disciples, to live in a community, uh, Lord, where we love and care for one another and serve one another. Father, all of these things just require your ongoing grace, your anointing to us. We are your church. We have always been your church. And, um, and Lord, we uh, cannot survive and move forward but without your continued grace and strength and enabling. So, Lord, as we contemplate all of this, help us to continue to, um, uh, Lord, as you would give us grace to, to do better to improve, to be better stewards of what you've given us here um, at this uh, place that we call Antioch Community Church. Lord, that you would be glorified and that, Lord, our community and people even around the world, Father, they would be blessed because we're serving you faithfully as you have called us to do. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. Antioch Community Church meets every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at 1600 Powerline Road in Elon, North Carolina. For more information, please go to AntiochChurchNC.org.